Good morning, everyone. Uh, for those who are new and visiting, I got to meet some newcomers today. Uh, welcome. Welcome to our church. Uh, we're really glad that you're here. Um, my name is Joseph. I am one of the pastors here on staff. And um, yeah, you know, today we were supposed to have our outdoor service, and uh, I was really excited for that. Uh, but I think we made the right decision. It's really cold. Uh, it's been kind of wet throughout the whole weekend. So uh, really looking forward to uh, next week. Um, but I do wanted to add one thing. So Veterans Park, it, it, I think it's a nice park. The parking size is a decent size, but it would really help us, especially if you're coming alone and you drive a car by yourself, uh, especially if those people can kind of get together and carpool. I think that would help us a lot. And uh, if you need help doing that, I would love to help you. So yeah, we really hope to see you uh, all next week. And yeah, for those who are visiting, uh, we've been in the series uh, in the letter of James, and uh, it's, it's been so good. Uh, and as I was thinking about that, I don't think there was ever a book or series that we've been in where I was like, oh, it's not that good. They're all good, but uh, I feel like it hit at the right time. And, um, you know, and we're coming kind of to a close. We're, we're nearing the end, end of James, and we're at the last chapter of chapter 5 today. And... Um, I really pray that uh, today's word uh, would really help all of us and really encourage us. Uh, I remember kind of feeling that uncomfortable, like what is going on pre-COVID? Uh, because uh, in our country, uh, just mass shootings and just a lot of terrible things were increasing. And uh, uh, many people suffering from uh, these attacks. Uh, after COVID, I'm hearing that uh, in major cities, uh, crime rates have uh, really shot up. It's, it's, it's been tough. Uh, dom- domestic abuse and family troubles increased so much. Uh, financial hardships, obviously, as well. And, uh, and uh, many of us, uh, we've either lost or we know someone who, uh, who lost uh, somebody to an illness, uh, a sickness, and uh, a lot of suffering has been taking place. And, uh, you know, uh, our world, our country, our families, you know, uh, to the many things that you may be going through, you know, even personally, uh, it's been difficult. And I think sometimes it's good to acknowledge that. Um, But I I know that we have uh, members in our church uh, who've been through a lot because I got to share with you and sit with you all. and many of these things that uh, you have shared with me, they're not all just recent and new sufferings. Uh, many of our church members, they've endured uh, for a long time, and they've been suffering a while. And uh, it, it must feel like round 12 in a boxing match, just exhausted, and feel like, man, when is this going to be over? And I want to say, you know, for our church members and who are listening right now, if you're one of those who are doing fine, and things are well, well, you've probably also seen in the past, you know, troubles, they can come like a flash flood. They can come all of a sudden. And, uh, and the different ways that we can be changed by these hardships, it can be really rough. I want to say, you know, myself right now, I'm, I'm not necessarily going through anything that I would call a suffering uh, at the moment, but... Uh, even in my current moments where I have uncertainties, I have insecurities, I have frustrations and, you know, hurt, uh, James 5 has been such a powerful word. 
It has been a powerful word for me in my season, and I pray that it would be for all of us. So today, as we go into James 5, um, we're going to kind of talk about um, uh, these three things. The first one is I'm going to talk about biblical patience uh, in suffering. Uh, the second point, I'll talk about how can this biblical patience be established? How can, how can this take place? And my third point would be what, patient, what perfect and patient suffering looks like. So church, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you so much um, that in the midst of all that is going on, all that has been going on, and all that will go on in the future, uh, in the middle of chaos, before or after, uh, we have your word to guide us, to teach us, and you've given us your spirit. And for that, Lord, we are so grateful. As we hear your word today on James 5, Lord, we pray that it would be a seed planted deep in our hearts, uh, a file that we put away, but a file that we're going to know that we're going to need often, that we're going to pull up because we live in a broken world. And many of us can be in the midst of brokenness. So, Father, I pray that you would use me, that I would not get in the way of your word, but your word would be, uh, would be good food for your people to chew and to eat um, and to grow from. So, Father, we thank you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go to the best part of the sermon. Let's, let's read this together. We're going to go to James 5. Uh, verses 7 to 11. Church, hear now the word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, Brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, as the example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. And you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Um, there are many types of sufferings, no? And uh, no matter what type of suffering and what category they fall under, uh, I don't think there's one type of suffering that's easy, that's fun. Um, whether it's a type of suffering that comes from things that are outside of your control, kind of like what kind of family you're born into and what kind of health conditions you're predisposed to, um, you know, uh, disasters and unforeseen accidents that we can't predict and things that happen all of a sudden, um, even when other people mistreat you and they harm you. Um, these are very uh, difficult things, whether they were done intentionally or in unintentionally. Whether you can see them coming or whether you can't see them coming, uh, it's tough when we find ourselves caught in 
any of these situations. Uh, in James 5, uh, it is talking about a, you know, the context is uh, in the previous part of chapter 5, uh, James talks about, uh, he warns the rich, right? Don't mistreat the people under you. Don't, you know, don't, don't not pay them what they deserve and, 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 and don't store up these treasures because it's all going to rot, it's all going to corrode, it's, it's all going to go away eventually. Be gracious. And then to everyone else who may be going through these tough things, uh, we arrive at our verse 7. But uh, I think this kind of suffering that James 5 is alluding to is not just for people who are under oppressive leaders or not good leaders. It's for anyone going through any kind of suffering. And I think we know that because the example he gives later on is Job. Right? Job it wasn't about, you know, was Job getting paid fair wages or you know, equal treatment or anything like that, but he, he was really suffering. Um, but regardless of what the hardships are, regardless of what the suffering looks like or what it may be, the Bible tells us to be patient. And I thought that was interesting. Right? In suffering, be patient. It's not like, you know, conquer and get out of it and get over it, but rather, the Bible tells us to be patient. And when we read that, it sounds okay, right? All right. I can be a little patient, but for how long? Until there is justice? Until what is owed to me is given? Until I am satisfied, should I be patient? No, no, no. James 5, 7 reads what? Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Okay, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Of the Lord. And I think this verse is very important because it kind of establishes some really important anchors. And I think when we read just verse 7, uh, this verse implies that in hardships, these things. Number one, it's very difficult to be patient, especially, uh, and it's impossible if you do it your way, but it's, it's, really be, it's really hard to be patient when things are tough. Um, the second thing would be um, that whatever you are being patient for in the beginning, it may never work out. That's the truth. So you're really hoping for something to, 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 to kind of work itself out or something to happen. Verse 7 can imply that it might not, at least not the way that you hope that it will. Because it's not be patient until it works itself out, but it's be patient until... The Lord comes back. But the third one, and I think this is the important one, is, but the Lord, he is coming back. But when he comes back, he's going to do something big. He's going to do something big. James goes on in the second half of verse 7 to use an example of a farmer who waits for precious fruit of the earth. And I think this is important because it shows us the nature of this biblical patience that God calls us to practice. And what I mean by that is this. A farmer uh, hoping to end up with a great harvest uh, should not just sit on a chair and hope that a great miracle takes place and that a great harvest will just pop up. That is not what a good farmer does. What does a good farmer do? He or she has to get to work. And they have to work hard. They got to work the land. 
in the heat, in the cold, it doesn't matter. You've got to work that land. Uh, you've got to plant the seed and make sure that they're spaced out accordingly. <clears throat> uh, and let's say you're successful and you have a big harvest. Guess what? You have bigger work. Now you have to more, more to collect and more to prepare, more to box, more to ship, more to, I don't know, spray and protect, whatever you have to do. But there's a lot of work, even if the harvest is great. And I'm no expert in farming, but I heard or I read that it can take years on working on the soil before it becomes ideal for whatever you're planting. It takes years because you have to kind of go through this cycle and prepare the soil. And I think when we look at the example of this farmer, the patience that the Bible calls us to have is not a patience of inactivity uh, with wishful thoughts and prayers, but rather it's a very active and it's a very hard-working patience. The arduous work needed in preparing the soil and planting seeds for us is this in verse 8. It says, You also, like the farmers, be patient and very active patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I'm not sure uh, when the last time anyone here uh, felt that, you know, everyone around you and everything around you was going like 100 miles per hour and you felt overwhelmed. Anyone feel that? I think uh, now it's called anxiety. And, uh, you know, um, or some, you know, that, 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 that rush that you feel when you're late to something because maybe you overslept or you forgot about it or just trying to patiently wait for something but it's just not happening. Whatever the situation may be, although we may pull it out and accomplish it because we have to, uh, you know, whether it's like a last-minute paper or cramming for that exam, it's not ideal, and we're not at our best when patience has run out. You might pass that test, but you'll probably not remember anything about the test that you've taken because... It wasn't that important to begin with because it wasn't in your priority and that's why we procrastinated. It's not optimal for us uh, and we're not great when we run out of patience. And you know what? It actually usually develops bad habits. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I want to ask all the procrastinators out there right there. I want to ask you this and I'm one of them, okay? So I'll admit I'm one of them. Did this ever happen to you, procrastinators? <clears throat> oh, I didn't manage my time very well this time. And I pulled an all-nighter. I learned my lesson, and I will never let this happen again. I'll tell you what happened for me in college. I crammed for every exam. (laughs) I didn't learn from it. Every exam I crammed. And what ended up happening was I developed a bad habit. How often do we just learn and say, huh, that's not a good idea? but rather we fall into bad habits. And not only is it not optimal in the way that we operate when we run out of patience, uh, not only is it uh, that we can develop bad habits, but we're also likely not to be very nice when we run out of patience. Uh, You will especially know, I hear, if you have siblings or if you're married, right? When you kind of lost the patience, even to people who we're really close to, uh, we can be really mean. 
Imagine, let's go back to that test. Imagine like you're trying to cram for a test and someone keeps asking you a favor that night. You might do it. But then after you do that favor, someone else asks you. And then someone else asks you. And it's like, please, I got to study for this test. Leave me alone. You're all selfish. Why don't you guys do it? Leave me alone. And we might snap or maybe we, we, just, we just break. And we're like, you know what? I'm done. I'm just, I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to take the test. And if I fail, I fail. Or how are you when you're driving? And you're, you're not even in a rush. And there's a traffic jam. And everyone is illegally driving on the emergency shoulder, and they're just cutting you off. Right? Your patience just dries and dries. But imagine if you are in a rush, and this is happening. Probably not our best moment. But yet in James 9, for, I'm sorry, in James 5, verse 9, Scripture tells us not to grumble against each other. How in the world are we not to lose our cool when our patience runs out? I love the Bible's response. The Bible's response is not, deepen your patience, work at it even more. But rather, it takes an interesting turn in verse 10. Let's read 10 together. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. James goes to Job, and I love it because I think this is the only mention of Job in the New Testament. But, but it's weird that I think James chose to Talk about Job here, because I don't know if Job is the best example for someone who was steadfast and patient in their suffering. But as we're about to venture into Job for a moment, uh, please listen to this part of the sermon, because this is how, this is my second point, this is how we establish our hearts and kind of have that biblical patience. Uh, that James 5 is talking about. Uh, Do you remember in James 1, Pastor Andre preached about this. He opened it up. It kind of gives us the overview of the letter, and it tells us from the very beginning, there will be suffering. And in your suffering, our test, uh, our faith will be tested. doesn't sound so pleasant. There will be suffering, and your faith will be tested. But church, number one, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. How so? It's a great thing if you're a Christian because we want to be tested and we should want to grow. How are we to break from our comforts and live extravagantly for God if we don't have usable faith and rather we just have slogans and Christian sayings that we can somewhat recite? That's not what a Christian wants. Disclaimer, God can use anybody and anyone, you know, under any circumstances. But no Christian wants to be Pharaoh where God hardens his heart and be used in that way. We want to give God glory by give, giving him usable character and faith that he can use for his good work. That should be what a Christian wants. So suffering tests our faith so much better than any examination tests whether you really know your material or not. Because it will play out. 
A test, once you pass, you get over it. You don't have to take that test again, usually. But through suffering, when our faith is tested, God tests it because he has something in store, believe it or not. For unbelievers, sufferings is good. It's good for them because it can bring them to that place of humility. Suffering brings humility, and and they can feel like, man, I don't know how I can get through this. I don't know what can be possibly done. And they, and they finally realize, man, there's nothing that I know or anyone that I know that can help me in this. And they encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ. Suffering is good, even for non-believers. Remember then, God uses even the bad for his good. And because of this, suffering while we're here on earth is not so bad. Please remember that. Suffering here on earth, right? it sounds crazy, right? It's not so bad. Suffering in the lake of fire, very bad. On earth, not so bad. Possibly even very good. Second one, second thing to remember. Uh, you know, people like to say, you know, everything happens for a reason. Well, kind of, yeah. But what that reason is very important, right? Is it a good reason? Is it a bad reason? Is it like a weird reason? When we look at Job, God allows suffering, but he allows it always for a good reason. Because of Job, God was able to use him as an example to teach the angels. Because of Job, God also used Job's situation and suffering to prove Satan wrong. Because Satan thought, God, the only way these people love you is if you make their lives comfortable and happy. But as soon as you make it tough and you take it away, they will all spit at you and they will all fall away. And God used Job's suffering for a good reason. But look at us today and look at us right now. Because of Job's suffering, God's still using that suffering for our church and many churches to teach us about biblical patience. All the good things, it might not be apparent in the moment of suffering, and it won't be. Most times it won't be. It's tough. But he does use it and allows it for a good reason, and remember that. Thirdly, you establish your heart for biblical patience by knowing and believing in this. God is in control, even in the worst sufferings. Okay? Uh, I would say that Job's suffering would rank right up there uh, where he lost his loved ones and his property very suddenly and very violently, and it was the work of the devil himself. But remember this, church. Satan wanted to do way worse, way more to Job if he can do it his way. Yes? Satan wanted to do way worse to Job if he can do it and have it his way. But he couldn't. He couldn't then, and he couldn't now, because God restrained Satan. And he restrains him today, because God is in control. That is so important, church, remember that. No matter how bad you're suffering, no matter how bad the circumstances, Satan wants to do so much more to you, but he cannot, because God is in control. God limited what Satan can do, to his faithful servant Job. And sure, 
We can argue, man, but it was still harsh. It was still rough. Yes. But he was in control. He was in absolute control, even in every work and the deed of Satan. And the fourth one, remember this church. And I think this is the key to biblical patience. And let's read verse 11 together. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Okay? Job was pretty good, and he was steadfast for a while. Okay, let's give him some props. He was good. But the focus turns away from Job's accomplishment of being pretty steadfast to being shown the purpose of the Lord. And what is shown in the purpose of the Lord? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The key to biblical patience is not you can do it. You know, like the movie Waterboy. You can do it, right? Or Nike slogan, just do it. Or whatever self-help, self-help you know, authors can write. No, the author of life and scripture tells us no. It's not that you can do it, but that biblical patience and the establishment of our heart can only be possible because God is compassionate and merciful. In other words, because God is good. Amen. Because God is good. If you can just put away all of what you think you can do to overcome any obstacle and suffering aside and absolutely believe that the Lord is compassionate and merciful, you will be different. Last sermon, do you guys remember I preached about how you can kind of get an inside peek of what a person is like uh, when you play board games with them? Like something competitive with them, uh, how they treat waiters, how they drive. You can get a little sneak peek at them. Uh, but you want to know what a person is really like? Not a sneak peek, but what a person is really like? See how they suffer. Okay? The beauty of Job's suffering is not Job's heroic effort to be steadfast. The beauty of Job's suffering is that the Lord who is compassionate and merciful, the one who is in total control, the one who is sustaining Job every step of the way, and even when Job caved in at the end, God met him right there and picked him up. He picked him right up. Doesn't this sound so similar to when Peter walked on the water in the storm? Right? Peter, when he walked on water, he, he didn't like lose a lot of weight that day and bought special sandals that helped him stand on water, right? Guys, that's ridiculous. It was Jesus who was standing in front of him, who was sustaining him and allowing him to do something physically impossible, standing on water. It was Jesus who was upholding him and sustaining him. But when, but when Peter fell into the water was when, was when what? He was distracted by the wind and the storm, just like when Job got distracted by his friends. He fell in. But what happens? Jesus picked him right up. God picked Job right up because he was sustaining him every step of the way, even when 
he failed. Church, that's got to bring great confidence. He says, he, God, sustains us every step of the way. And even when we fail, he picks us up. Can't we look suffering a little bit different when we are reminded of this and when we hold true to these truths? And this is my last point. Remember, I asked you, you really want to know what a person is like? See how they suffer. Do you want to see how good God is? Just sit under the gospel of Jesus Christ and just look at the cross that he was nailed to. I'll tell you this, and I think many parents or instructors, they will vouch for me. When your child or your student crosses the line and disrespects you, your patience goes down real quick. Okay? It gets real quick. Yet, here is Jesus God in flesh, being mocked and set up in some bogus hearing with Pontius Pilate, and he's being spit on, he's being battered, and, 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 and the soldiers, you know, they're shoving him, and Jesus is barely able to walk, but he has to carry this cross. But he does so, so humbly. As a parent, man, I mean, Calvin doesn't really disrespect us all that much, but if he does... Uh, Man, my patience, man. He can, he's like, what did you say to me? Do you know who I am? I'm bigger than you. <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm like a bully, right? Like, it could go down real quick. But here's Jesus, mocked by his own creation, humble. You want to see how someone really is? Look how they suffer. Look at Jesus. And when he made it to the place of the skull, where the worst criminals are crucified, Jesus was willing and he was faithful as he went up onto that cross. And in pain and mocked by his own creation, Jesus suffered well. And you see that the Lord is compassionate and merciful because what does he say? What does he pray? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And then you wait a little bit longer and what does he do? He forgives a thief on the cross. And promises, today you'll be with me in paradise. That is compassion and mercy. Not when things were easy, but when things were at its worst. You want to know what a person is really like? Watch them when they're suffering. Look at Jesus Christ. Do you have any doubt that God is good? Just look at how he suffered perfectly and unlike any other. And in the presence of sinners and the plot of Satan, God is in total control and uses the greatest evil for what? For the greatest good. Doesn't he use the cross for the greatest good? God is in control. God is good. Amen? Where God restrained Abraham from harming Isaac, from God restrained Satan from harming Job himself. Yet, to the spotless lamb, God unleashes his wrath. A suffering on the cross that needed no test of faith for Jesus, but rather the one who will establish it for us. Perfectly and wonderfully. This is why when Jesus said, let your will be done and it is finished, 
It was absolutely so. Church, I have to repent and I have to ask some of you for your forgiveness because um, many of you shared with me your sufferings and I'll be honest, I wanted to be a good person and I want, and, and being a good person, I wanted, you know, I wanted to wish and pray your suffering would be taken away uh, and that you would get what you want. But I don't think I was being a faithful pastor in that moment, if that's what my wish was, that you would just get it your way. I think I understand much better now. You and I should not be seeking first, you know, in our heads and calculating, you know, in our hearts, what is the, you know, what constitutes the wind condition for this suffering? If this just happens, then okay, I'll be happy again. No, no. That wind condition was fully finished 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ. Rather, we need to cling to the truth that God is good, that he is in control, that he is working in the sustainer of our good, and that he is always with you, and for you, whether or not God does ultimately end up lifting that suffering or not. That is secondary. Only then can our hearts be established and led to the kind of patience that Christ displayed for us on the cross. And although things may not feel as it was completely handled because Things didn't quite work out the way that we've hoped for and that we wanted. The promise of God is this. What does it keep saying in verse 7 and 8? But he will return. But Jesus will return, and he's going to do something big. And when Jesus returns, everything will be settled perfectly, and all will be well forever, once and for all. And I promise you in that time, when Christ comes back and he works out everything perfectly, there will not be one daughter or son of God that says, huh. Every, every, son, every son of God, every daughter of God will say this, huh, this is so much better than what I had planned and what I hoped for. But at the same time, church, I am not saying that we should not ask, that we should not ask God for things. Like, I'm not saying when suffering happens, yes, don't take this away from me and I'll take it. I'm not saying that's how you ought to be. We can ask, but the priority is not take this suffering away from me, but Lord, in this moment, in this time, I need you most, establish my heart. That's the priority, and then we can ask, but Lord, can you also help me now? Even though I know you're going to fix it in all eternity, we can ask him for help. But that order, I think, is very important. But when we are often suffering, we ask for the immediate fixed first. But when I read the Bible over and over again, the truth is this. God is so much more concerned about our hearts than our circumstances. Yet we keep asking the other way around. I think I've become the most speechless when uh, someone in our church... Um, goes through like a real deep suffering for a long time or they lose a loved one like a death I mean I felt like what, what do you say what can you say to them and I had so little faith to think that I can say to them God loves you he is with you he's in control and that 
is the truth, and that brings great comfort. Rather than me being nice and be like, oh, I hope everything will work out, and I hope you feel better soon. But we can proclaim the truth. Amen? And I'll close with this. And uh, praise team, I'd like to ask you guys to uh, wake your way to the front. And it's really cool because Pete Dave's playing in the praise team. Man, what, can he, what can he not do? And what faith Moses had to let him play without ever listening to him play. But, but, but I'll close with this. He's, uh, but he's doing a great job. Uh, <laughs> um, church, let's keep striving to be a church that runs to one another when one of us or some of us is suffering. Scripture says when one, body, one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. And you know what? I have praise report for this. Our church has aced it many times when there were people in trouble in our church because we rally and we, I think we support really well. And, uh, and I want to really shout out and thank our deacons. They help organize a lot of it. Our, our, our missions committee, man, when things happen overseas and we don't get to really hear about it, but they're right there. It, it's, it's such a blessing to be a part of a church that rallies and runs to be with one another when things get tough. But remember, we are just the encouragers. The sustainer and the one who establishes the heart is God. And may we go with that firmly planted in our hearts. Secondly, let's also run past these walls. And, you know, not just love each other well, uh, but let's, let's also love people who may be far away. I love that right now in this season, our church is doing compassion, and my sister Annie and the outreach team, they kind of brought it forth, and we have a compassion table out in our lobby. You can also go to the website, but church, you don't have to save Africa or a nation or even a tribe. You can start with one child who is suffering. And if you're really financially struggling, then form a group, however many it takes, and as a group, Let's start with one child. Let's run near or far and embrace those who are suffering. And lastly, church, do not fear suffering the same as you did before, but rather fear God and and let Him establish your heart in your suffering by clinging on to all that is true about our good God. Church, let's suffer well and patiently because the author of life, the perfecter of our faith is with you and is for you and he will return and resolve everything. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much for James chapter five as many of us have gone through a lot in the past, currently, for a long time, or there's a storm brewing. But when it comes, Lord, may we not be ignorant to think that I just have to be stronger, I just have to be better, and I just have to fix it. But may we be patient for the coming of the Lord, and in that patience, and in the midst of that suffering, may we cling to you to establish our hearts. Lord, thank you so much for this message. I can't believe that 
you would allow me to counsel and be a pastor while even while you're still establishing my heart today but truly you are compassionate and merciful not just to me but to all of us you are so good and if we just hold on to that what can this world do it can try but in the end aren't you still in control haven't you haven't you cemented for all history the victory that we could have never done thank you Jesus thank you Lord for your word for your message for your compassion and mercy may you look down now and see a church that runs to one another and runs far to those who are suffering out there and when suffering comes upon us that we would be steadfast because of who you are we thank you jesus we pray all of these things in his name